Hi folks, welcome to Film Optimists, where we talk about all things film with a hefty dose of optimism. I'm your co-host, Seth Boyd. And I'm Megan Tierney. And uh, folks, you're in for a treat. Today is our highly anticipated for us Christmas episode. <laughs> so Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everyone. And we're going to be recommending um, an offshoot holiday film today that we both really enjoyed. Seth brought it into my life, as he will tell you, as it impacted his life um, and had nice parallels to the Christmas season, but it's also, um, like I said, kind of an off kilter <laughs> Christmas movie. It's not your, it is not a miracle on 34th street, anything like that. So we are so excited to be talking today about Tokyo Godfathers. Is it Godfather? Godfathers, plural. Godfathers, plural. Yes. <laughs> Which <laughs> this shows you, everybody, how like um, <laughs> ill versed I am in this movie. But what a what a treat it was. I watched it last night. Um, Pers are talking about this recording, and it was uh, it was a treat. It's very very like I said, off kilter of Christmas. And um, Seth, if you, I think a great way to like get into it is to is if you like would let us know about how it came into your life and why uh, why this recommendation. Sure, absolutely. So the film is a uh, 2003 Japanese anime film by anime legend Shitoshi Kon, who I think is most widely known uh, globally for making Paprika. Which we're probably going to talk more about later. And I definitely came into this film by knowing Shatoshi Kone from Paprika. But uh, this movie hits home to me because I was homeless for a couple of years on and off. And I uh, was definitely homeless during the holidays. And it's not something you see depicted that often in media. It's especially not something you see uh, the main characters as homeless and uh, are not judged for it. Um, typically, if a character is homeless in a Western media, it's a... Um, uh, pulled himself up by the bridges type of story. <laughs> this is not really that. So uh, I really enjoy this uh, representation of media. This hits home. This is a very sweet movie. This is also a darkly comic movie. It's a very strange movie in general. It's a Shoshi Kong movie. <laughs> let's let's dive in. I love Megan. You, you watched this the first time. This has been a uh, staple in my household. This is maybe the only thing I watch every year and has been for about the last Ooh. five is years this or your, so. Like, Christmas this movie is like set? there's a few other things we try to get in there, uh, but this is like <laughs> the regular one that Anne and I watch. So oh, I love that. So I'm deeply familiar with it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I should state real quick if it seems familiar. Let's just say the general premise. The premise is three homeless people stumble upon a newborn infant on Christmas Eve. So got to do something about that. <laughs> That's the main premise. A little bit of quick background. It is inspired by a John Ford movie, a 48 Western starring John Wayne, of course, about three outlaws who uh, inadvertently, unexpectedly become the godfather to a baby and have to deal with that, oh, which wow. is itself based off a 1913 novel. So this is uh, very different from that. It's just the general premise of a trio, an unlikely trio, <laughs> um, becomes responsible for a child. But um, there's uh, some older history in here, um, some older references. Mm -hmm. But what were your kind of impressions uh, as a first time viewer? <laughs> this one um i i enjoyed it like right off the bat <laughs> of course i enjoyed it i think that like in reflecting on it i also reflected that like christmas oddly is this weird time of like melancholy so these mm -hmm. the film is very like melancholic and themes of like i think misanthropes and like melancholy tend to really come up in christmas movies like funnily enough westerns or not 
And so it's just interesting that it came up for this, that it came up so like, um, I think that it's one of the main themes in this movie is like melancholy and like life reflections, which is a big common like Christmas motif, I guess. Yeah. and to have it be through the lens of um, specifically like this homeless, um, these homeless people or people without homes lens is mm-hmm. really, really, uh, it, it turns it on its head and like makes it the definitely a focal point for me. But also I enjoyed that it wasn't really this like soapbox for right. homelessness. And there are also just complex characters um, in itself of like, people have um substance abuse issues like people have um these people have uh transgenderism and gender identity Mm -hmm. like things going on but it's not a uh soapbox for issues like that it's just these are these characters yeah yeah. i loved i I think that's really true and again going back to like feeling uh, you know identifying with this movie is like it doesn't make a grand statement about here's how we solve the homelessness problem that's right it doesn't make a, a grand statement about here's how to uh be a trans person and be an advocate for that and work to sort of battle alcoholism um but i think it's very i think it really honors these characters just by depicting them as real people Mm -hmm. you know and i i frankly think that's among the best ways to uh show representation i'm a bisexual man i enjoy movies where characters just happen to be queer rather than give a soapbox (laughs) statement about life as a queer person um that's you know my personal um opinion i understand people might disagree but i think this movie does really well by giving these characters a lot of dignity a lot of uh, grace uh simply by existing but let's let's get into the protagonist um Mm -hmm. because um among the things i really like about this movie like you said is a lot of things are kind of flipped on their head Mm -hmm. this is uh not an overtly christian nation (laughs) like uh, (laughs) christmas in japan is not quite the same as uh christmas in the u.s we do begin with them at a very familiar setting for uh, i think a lot of people which is the uh the soup kitchen <laughs> you That's have right. to hear the sermon the first. nativity play the nativity play you have to sit through that before you can eat yeah. and i you know <laughs> i say right. familiar to everybody uh familiar to me <laughs> but mm. i think we're all familiar with what that's like but uh i've been on both ends of that right and uh i always love the the frustrations of what are you really thinking if you're just there and you're just hungry and cold mm-hmm. and that crap <laughs> you know? <laughs> say what you will about religion but you're not that interested in uh an all-powerful God. Yeah. <laughs> Telling you how things yeah. could be better. The Christmas when, uh, story, you know. Better. Yeah. <laughs> Baby so like Jesus. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Christmas is involved. There's a lot of Christmas throughout here. There's a lot of Christian references and etc. But also like our mm-hmm. characters are now like um Hana is a character we'll get to in a moment who maybe wants to believe or at least is more open <laughs> to miracles. Yeah, but right. this is not a we we get the feeling this is not the thing they practice necessarily. So mm-hmm. our three protagonists are uh Jin who is an older alcoholic man. I don't think we get quite exactly an age for them. I'm guessing, my, my understanding was maybe like 40s to 50s. Yeah, you know? middle-aged. Um, middle-aged, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Hana, who is a trans woman. And Miyuki, who I, I think is like 16 or 17, uh-huh. you know, who's a teenage runaway. All three of these characters um, are kind of, would be outsiders even if they weren't homeless, or at least they'd be characters who are to varying degrees uh, disregarded by society mm-hmm. <laughs> society's not really designed to help or function for a teenager a trans person or an alcoholic <laughs> and uh, yeah. and we see that we see them getting beyond um uh poor treatment for being homeless we see them encountering that 
sorry, folks, we were having a little technical difficulties <laughs> as these things go. But um, Seth, you were mentioning how these characters, uh, our main characters in the story, we have three main characters and they are not your typical they're not your typical bunch first of all like that's kind of the the point of like having these three people together but they're also not your typical uh stereotypical as most often is portrayals of like homeless people in general or people without homes so they provide a wide array of like um their own characteristics and their own personalities that come to it and for me that was a i mean obviously a huge win of the movie that's where it shines um, but yes. do you want to talk about like the, that aspect too, Seth? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think right before that we were having technical difficulties for getting into each of these characters, aside from being homeless, is still uh, a marginalized person. And Miyuki is a, a teenage runaway, and um, you know, being a teenager in general society is not uh, all that concerned with a teenage woman, unfortunately, as we see throughout this movie. And then uh, Hana is a trans woman. Um, who is uh, often being misgendered, often being disrespected, and is dealing with uh, what you would expect comes with that as well. And then Jin is a uh, alcoholic, and uh, which I think is important to frankly have in there. It's uh, again being homeless before. It's uh, not too difficult to link those two. <laughs> um, the reliance on a uh, drug or anything of a substance is uh, pretty normal. Uh, given the circumstances. And, uh, you know, none of these characters are judged for that, which I think is especially um, interesting, given that Jin is not really judged for being an alcoholic so much by the movie. You know, there's uh, maybe by characters, but uh, no one is presented as a uh, lost cause or beyond redemption. And as this movie goes on, we see all three of them are very, very capable of, uh, of extraordinary things and certainly not things uh, society would expect of them. I love how, like, they're portrayed very realistically and in in addition to that also realistically in terms of like how the public treats um people with yeah. homes, like homeless people and right. it's a sad reality but it's just like that that adds to them as like as characters and as believable characters yeah um i also like that some um hannah as we talked about had has like an, a bit of a more affinity towards mysticism as you were, or yes. like at least like a sense of like Chris, Christmas yeah. magic. She yeah. she really wants to believe in that. And so I like that it, it's very, very sweet to me that the movie peppers in um, instances where that does come true for her. So it's not like a totally bleak, you know, um, magic is dead kind right. of movie. It's, <laughs> it's actually very like sweet and giving in that way. And it like- yeah. It, it it peppers it in in a realistic way where it just it's it's so hard heartfelt it's like a very um characteristic uh, uh of this movie and it, it's very very like palpable almost it's it's really fun and it leads to one of my uh, favorite jokes in the movie is um hana really wants to be a mother and is talking about this and is talking about this as she goes up to get her soup and just says hey you know what i'm, I'm pregnant i'm eating for two you better give me a, a double portion that's right and the person the old person giving soup is uh confused by this doesn't know what to do doesn't really say anything and then the next day 
see Sana holding the baby and <laughs> they don't make eye contact, but just leans over the room. I was like, oh my God, it was a miracle. Yes. <laughs> she has a baby. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. So you do, you do kind of have uh, multiple characters believing in, in magic or God or whichever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this kind of holiday uh, magic. And, and yeah, it is very nice um, that we have a person and it's not necessarily the person you think it is, because um, Miyuki is the youngest. You think maybe they'd be the most um, optimistic, and they are often even more jagged or jaded than uh, Jin. <laughs> it, it definitely leads to the question of how these folks find each other, because mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Jin and Hannah are known. We have a few other homeless characters refer to Miyuki as, oh, that's the kid who hangs out with Jin and Hannah. <laughs> yeah. We get to see the feeling as we learn more about those stories that they've been out there for years, at right. least, so uh, maybe even decades. It's kind of like Miyuki is outcast in this band of outcasts. Yes, <laughs> almost yeah, absolutely. Which, or it's almost with that feeling of like you can't hang. You know, you're not. You're yeah. really not a part of this. You don't. <clears throat> you're doing this because of. I think there's some judgment of like you're doing this because of choice. You have the. You have a cushy life that you could go to, but of course the movie reveals that like her life circumstances. That's actually like not the case for her at home because of yeah. her, because of her yeah. actions. So it's. Exactly. I just love that they set these characters up to show you a, a kind of how they got there, and it unfolds as the movie goes along so beautifully. But it's like it's not right off the bat that you get. That yeah, be- you, you get a lot of false uh, starts too as That's to right. what happened, especially with Jen. You get some um, uh, fake stories about what happened, which is uh, two, two things I think this movie gets really well about found family. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, has a homeless person and other family stuff. Very important to me. Yes. <laughs> as uh, someone strange. Uh, found family is a thing I rely on. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I always enjoy it um, uh, depicted in a fiction. And um, often, um, it's a little bit more wholesome in fiction than it is in reality. You still have the same problems you have with family. You still have bickering. <laughs> yeah. And these folks are bickering a lot in some mean ways. You know, um, Jen is, they're, they're all kind of taking shots at each other, especially when they are aggravated and they don't know if they're going to be able to eat. And then they discover the baby and, um, you know, at altered times, they're still bickering, but they are united and like, well, we got to do something about this. <laughs> you right. know, and I think I, I, I really appreciate that, that depiction of like even, the found family is not necessarily the ideal family. You still yeah. have uh, the common problems and it's, I think it's still better, you know, <laughs> but it's there. And certainly realistic. Like it's just, it's realistic, yeah. but also um, in that realism <laughs> of their harsh life is always like um, that very, very sweet quality of, just finding being tough with each other but it's like tough love like yeah <laughs> I think yeah. that's portrayed so well but um and, and I detailed love is like you know again while they're bickering while they're arguing they actually find the baby while they're looking for a present for Miyuki that's um, right who's kind of complaining about like because they're, they're looking for a collection of books that they've mm-hmm. uh, uh found and we're kind of stashing they're trying to find it and go through the garbage they find the baby and she's being kind of typical teenagers saying I don't want books <laughs> these old books and I um I think it's specifically Dostoevsky that they were looking for which a big Dostoevsky oh, fan so I appreciate that's right. that as well um so I you know I I like that they're um even while they're arguing they're still are arguing while trying to do something nice for each other yeah mm-hmm. um which feels and very they, uh family they fed each other like they yeah they brought food up to her from right. the soup kitchen so it's like at least they they're very much banded together in this movie, yeah. which is pretty, really nice. I think um, one thing I want to make sure we highlight is that the tone of this movie is 
unique because it is mm-hmm. you know you do have these rough characters you have this rough circumstance but it's also a comedy throughout and it's a very much a screwball comedy and once they find the baby things get stranger and stranger as That's they right. look for it i don't think we're gonna do a quick uh, or rather i don't think we're gonna do a full plot synopsis but they go on quite a goose chase yeah trying yeah. to find the baby they end up uh finding somebody trapped under a car they help that person that person ends up being a yakuza boss they go mm-hmm. end up being invited to the wedding and there's another lead there and then there's an assassination tip at the wedding and it just kind of goes on from there in a um in a way that you don't see in movies very much right uh and i i like screwball comedy i think it's an underrated um particular genre that's mm-hmm. mostly from the 30s and 40s although um i think in western audiences the most we see it is in Coen brother movies like uh sure Fargo mm-hmm. has a lot of elements of <laughs> screwball yeah. comedy of things going wronger and wronger. <laughs> so this movie has that in a very fun, whimsical way, all while having this very tragic thing. If there's a baby that's been abandoned, and right. it's a good mystery too. I think it functions very well. As uh, they got the clues, they put slowly put together where this it, baby come from. It does. It's so um, it's so engaging in that re- in that regard, and it's like it sets it up very well where uh, that's what I, I, I feel like it snowballed into getting better and better. Like it, it, sometimes yeah. the plot can get a little like crazy if it happens like that, but sure, this one, sure. it's just like quality, man. <laughs> like I think yeah. animes do this very well, but it's <laughs> yes. like they, they can um, spin and spin and spin until it like really makes a big impact at the end, which is so like satisfying, I guess. And yeah. Um, and well done it's it's well done absolutely yeah i think um it's it's something that uh lesser hands would be a very ridiculous and unpleasant movie <laughs> right. Know? right right um, and i don't know if you i don't i can't really pinpoint exactly what is the quality that makes this work but uh, i will say a, a big part of it i think is satoshi Kon's animation in that yeah um, uh very comedic animation like if you're you're getting those great exaggerated faces from characters reactions right. and everything and uh, you're also getting some uh the stylistic choice he's maybe most known for is his uh, match cuts um mm. and there's a whole great video on youtube people should check out from the every frame of painting on his editing uh techniques and they can be very jarring one of the most intense ones in this movie is there's a, a pipe with uh, water leaking down it leaking then it cuts to blood dripping oh, yeah. on the floor and you don't know what's happening yet and then we start to reveal what happened with uh, yuki and sorry for spoilers is she stabbed her dad <laughs> and uh, it's a very jarring cut, and it's not what you're expecting, not where you're expecting the movie to go at all. Mm. Um, but that's one of his real mastery there was that match cut. And oh, man. There's more throughout, but he's, uh, you know, this this is a movie where homeless people find a baby, but this is also a movie where someone stole a baby, it comes out, so, <laughs> where a daughter stabs her, her dad. Yep. Um, a man ran out on his family because he's overwhelmed with debts. Actually, multiple people ran out on their families because they're overwhelmed with debts. And wow. a lot of very intense stuff happens in this movie that I think really works it well with the sentimentality of it, actually. It makes it, it makes the sweetness feel very earned, you know? I, I realized I interpreted that imagery wrong almost because I think I'm so used to um, looking for like highly symbolic mm. uh images and motifs which obviously that was but uh, this this one for me was also 
a bit of a more um, straightforward story. I mean, not obviously we're talking about how it like spun a yarn really crazily, but it it's a straightforward storyline in that it like um, it just keeps building upon each other, and it's not quite like as like surreal as um, past Paprika. movies are. Yeah. <laughs> Paprika yeah. is what I'm thinking of. So I was I, that kind of like surprised me too about it. It was just like they. I think it's very like obviously character driven story and um, the images that are presented are extremely um pointed like they're very specific to um these characters i guess and and um i i thought that blood scene was almost i i didn't realize that that was in regards to her father almost that was my like miss. You, you know and i think part of it is to um and i, I like this uh, animation details she's it's her and it's her voice but she's larger um yeah she's um in that scene she's uh somewhat um i wouldn't say overweight but she is uh fuller bodied and um which i think speaks well like we we find out she's been uh, on the streets with him for i think it's six months so she does Mm -hmm. look like someone who went from being fed family dinners to uh scrounging (laughs) you know but um yeah and i think this is a interesting like i think she's 17 i can't remember i don't i know she's not um graduated high school but she uh mistake she stabs her father in anger thinking he's gotten rid of the cat and uh, turns out he didn't. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> and um, which is something she finds out much later, I think, and um, doesn't feel like she can show her face there. Yeah. And that that kind of starts. At, I think this is the first one we get revealed. Um, all three members of the this trio are under the assumption that they can't go back, which is not necessarily true, but they all. Um, fucking too much as far as they all end up countering their uh, respective families mm, that's right and it always it's um surprisingly pleasant for all yes. three of them but at the end of the movie they're still together you know they're still the that's trio right. they're not necessarily um going to uh, reject their homes or anything but they're still a trio and i think right. and i really like that <laughs> even yeah. after having this uh connections you know like it yeah i don't know if jen can really go back to being the the father to his daughter he hasn't seen in like 15 mm-hmm. years you know <laughs> um I, I think it, just slide back into that. I'm glad they did it too, because at least it'll show that living, it would be very tragic for them to not address these past like demons that they yeah. um, have in their lives. And right. what a Christmas motif. Well, I mean, that's kind of like oh, yeah. a, a Christmas to be asked aspect of it. Well, is that like, um, it's such a Christmas motif to right oh, your wrong, wrongs and, and confront your demons. And like, yeah, so at least that's Christmas Carol stuff. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Oh, and the three like of them yeah. as well. Uh, it may be a parallel to like a Christmas Carol, so. yeah. perhaps. And they encounter, they encounter, you know, um, both ghostly figures and straight up um, dead people <laughs> in <Yes>. this movie. <laughs> so, um, like yeah. I said, me- melancholy is not far from like Christmas motifs that of uh, classic Christmas sure. motifs that we've seen. So, I think that in retrospect of watching it, I was like, yeah, that like it, it does relate very much so to um, to what we what we consider as a like Christmas theme for sure a dark Christmas theme but like right. a Christmas theme nonetheless absolutely yeah I think um I don't know because it, it does uh address like you said most Christmas themes uh perfectly mm-hmm. but in a very different way yeah <laughs> you know yeah you even do have uh some beautiful imagery where um at the end Hannah is saving the day and is uh descending like an angel with right? the baby <laughs> you know one of my favorites um, it's a beautiful image it's funny it's mm-hmm. beautiful especially it's that character who's been talking about miracles <laughs> the whole time yeah and uh 
that was the most for me like throw a bone to the yes um, to like (laughs) to the miracle wonders of the like right wanting that so bad and but I appreciated it I was like that is so sweet yeah like I like I I enjoy uh uh Black Christmas the horror movie but I also (laughs) I prefer this you know yeah I prefer like there there is still like enough true Christmas in this there um, is despite everything else and um on that note there's there's a harrowing scene at least for me where um Jen is just mugged by a bunch of rich young punks who want to go beat up a homeless guy yep you know and that's that's just there that's the thing he has to deal with he nearly dies (laughs) and so you know this movie's unflinching I think with its uh look about how he treat homeless people and even at the uh end the they have found the baby who again it turned out was stolen they initially give it to the wrong parents they found the baby it's reunited with the correct parents and the parents are excited to go see the godfathers mm-hmm. and the police weren't like well just so you know they're homeless like i that's fine i don't give a shit yeah <laughs> so they, the fact that the police still think they need to warn them <laughs> before oh, they go in there it's so crazy there's also a uh imp I mean, I shouldn't say imply a very much a happy ending that happens off screen. At one point, Jin is helping another older dying homeless man. That actually happens right before he mm-hmm. uh, is mugged himself. And the dying man hands on something and says, it'd be better if they don't know who I am. It's revealed mm-hmm. much later in the movie, but not really commented on that. Uh, that was actually the winning lotto ticket that he has. Mm-hmm. So we don't see this. And by the end of the movie, Jin seems still unaware of the fact that he has this. <laughs> so okay. I remember uh, that. We, we hope that that's something they put together because it's a rather large lotto. But it's <laughs> so. also, you know, that's another kind of fun twist of like the Christmas perfect happy ending where they come into a lot of money but they don't know it yet so yeah. are these idiots gonna just uh, throw it away <laughs> i guess garbage or are they gonna find yeah. out oh the the futility of like the things that happened to them were really really like well done and like palpable it's one little yeah. slip up is a um usually with like <clears throat> an item or like a uh, just some aspect of their um of the, the way that their, their like journey unfolded yeah it's kind of like not really their actions it's just like the the literally their surroundings around them that cause um things to go the way that they do for them and that is so oh, oh it's like it's so yeah. well done this is going back to earlier in the movie there's a, a moment actually when they um have a lead of where who the mother could be i think they have an address yeah and they're on the train going there and um Miyuki sees why they're stuck on the tracks. Um, Miyuki sees the train opposite her, her father. Mm-hmm. It's unclear to this to us as the audience at this point that that's her father. It's just yeah. someone who sees her. They recognize each other, and she panics and she just runs off the train. They are some miles from where they need to go. It's snowing, and Jin and Hana follow her, mm-hmm. and uh, they complain about it, but they still follow her. Yeah, yeah. and uh, more importantly, they don't make her tell her what happened. Uh, and I really like that mm-hmm. detail of okay, we're still sticking together. <laughs> I don't know what went wrong. You don't have to tell us, but here we are. <laughs> it's clearly a problem. <laughs> you know, we went yeah. from being warm on the train, we spent money for it, and now we're going back to the snow. Yes. But um, they, they, they let that one go pretty quickly, mm-hmm. I think. Um, again, without pushing for an explanation, really, at least not too hard to enough to get one oh. as to what happened. So um, oh. I love that detail. of I, I really love their dynamic and... I, one thing I think this movie has gotten complaints for, which I, I can understand, is earlier in the movie, particularly when they are having more heated arguments, uh, Jin is intentionally misgendering um, Hana to, uh, to arc them. And mm-hmm. I, it's something that stops, though, as the movie goes on, as they become more 
collected in in a goal that's right it's, it's something he drops pretty early on and i really like that choice they don't have a uh, conversation about it they don't have a formal apologies they don't have a formal acknowledgement he just stops the bad behavior yes yes and um that felt very realistic to me <laughs> not I saying agree. that uh I such things should happen without acknowledgement but i think in real life that's much more likely <laughs> to happen than a uh uh, perfectly articulated uh, speech. So I, agree. Um, I appreciated that, that uh, portrayal. And also, and it, like, it's Jen is an old alcoholic man, or I was going to say, a middle age. <laughs> um, this movie came out in 2003. Jen doesn't need to be woke, you know, he's a homeless guy. <laughs> woke did not quite exist then. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, I was going to say, like, I think it may, that is a testament of like the time it was, which, like you say, 2003. But, but in a way, uh, that's actually. Cool at least hannah's character for me was quite uh, ahead of its time um, yeah i would say so and specifically the way that they band together and treat her is um mm. <laughs> it's hard because it's like both characteristic of its time in terms of like Jin's bad behavior like you say but um ahead of its time in that i just love that they so sincerely portray their genuine friendships as like messy and chaotic and yeah. and um kind of and cruel and kind of cruel sometimes <laughs> and hannah yeah. is she's able to like hold her own with it anyway so it's kind of like no one can touch hannah in that regard <laughs> so it's it's just a i think it's portrayed well and causes like adequate tension in the movie and like um is an aspect of just their character development and character building right and it's not a joke like her uh hannah's uh, transgenderism is not right. a joke it's an element of her character <laughs> absolutely she, the, she's a very uh fey you know mm -hmm. she's not a joke you know she's not just a yeah. punchline she's a um, very interesting character and a character we mm -hmm. again find out more of their backgrounds find out what was going on with her and it's uh I, I think she's a really beautiful character. I like yeah. that none of these characters are are jokes. Like they're not taken right. um, for granted, which I think that I the easiest commentary is just that like the homeless people are people that are experiencing homelessness can mm. often be taken for granted. They or their character is certainly right. not taken into consideration at all, and their yeah. per, um, their persona is not taken into consideration at all, right. um, which the movie also portrays. Well, bottom line, folks, is it's a great and very unique um, Christmas experience that I, uh, I recommend. If you uh, love Christmas movies, watch this because it, it's kind of that. And if you don't like quit watching Christmas movies for uh, over sentimental reasons or cliche reasons, then this will certainly be the antidote you seek. So Seth, I have an antithesis of right. this movie <laughs> that I, I, it's kind of in the same vein almost, which is interesting. So me and my sister, <laughs> um, our Christmas movie, like of the year that we were so excited to watch now that, and I got like Disney plus. So I was like headed to it is, um, uh, I'll be home for Christmas <laughs> starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas, uh, of like, it's like a, it's a late nineties movie. So like in his peak prime of yes. his heartthrob prime, um, this movie is also a screwball comedy in a very much more like Western sense of the word. Mm. And as we were talking about, um, Tokyo Godfathers, it was interesting that like, I was seeing more parallels as I like thought about it because he, the plot of this 
um very b movie is that he gets abandoned in the desert to try to get home before christmas uh <laughs> at a certain time so he can literally get a convertible like a car from his dad okay. like a nice 19- wait his dad abandons him <laughs> he gets abandoned from punks at his college they like beat oh him. okay yeah for like a very very dumb dumb plot line um okay. and so it's his journey to get back to home but so he can get this convertible um so again like a very like antithesis of tokyo godfathers but some very odd parallels because he oh. goes on a um a screwball comedy journey that like snowballs um and snowballs into a very like tied in a bow ending that western christmases christmas movies tend to do it kind of like was interesting to me because it held up more than I thought and more than oh, we really? thought. We had a we had a blast watching this movie. It was very um funny. And then actually to like throw it even more back to our previous episode where we were talking about lack of sexuality in Marvel yeah, films. Um so this as a 90 late 90s movie, early 2000s movie actually had a lot of like sex humor in it, which was really fun for us as well. It's it's very like cheeky. Obviously it's not like sure. <laughs> it's it's really not that crazy, but it just reminded me of like our conversation about that. So if you're interested, go and check out our previous episode on that well that's very interesting given like you know so much of our conversation was about the assumption that marvel was being um desexualized because it was owned by disney <laughs> oh like, my goodness I know. this is a disney movie right i think so yes yeah um it was is. it like miramax or something i'm no i was trying to remember like that um the cards and it it for sure was a disney movie it, wow. but i i just don't remember like where i it wasn't like a disney channel movie you know sure, but i sure. think it, yeah. it was produced for sure by disney um because i remember the the castle card in the beginning right. <laughs> the disney. how <laughs> could you forget, forget? That one. yeah yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah no that is interesting it very much um well it's a it's like a teen preteen like screwball comedy um that is fun to watch for the I think again like dark certainly not as dark as Tokyo Godfathers um but darker themes come up including like um very 90s not enjoying going home because of like a stepmother incident or oh, oh man that was a big thing <laughs> dude so uh, that's a bit like that's a great characteristic of like the entire movie basically is he just just don't doesn't want to go home because of like evil stepmother <laughs> issues <laughs> um but it's it's very fun and very again like um screwball comedy well fantastic and, I, i'm gonna recommend another uh screwball christmas comedy a, a lighter more traditional one oh yes please as well uh this is an old movie i don't know where you can find it uh christmas in connecticut i'm, I'm a preface this is not this is not um it's a wonderful life this is not shop around the corner this is not a christmas classic and now it's a flat-out great movie it's just a very silly christmas movie that yes. um i rewatched with my wife recently and we we're both shocked that it hasn't been remade because it's peak for uh, the influencer age the main plot is that a woman who writes for a uh so food columnist who's a celebrity food columnist, kind of a Martha Stewart, but only in print. No one has seen her and know what she looks like. And part of her columnist is she has this beautiful uh, managing a, uh, country house in Connecticut. She's got several kids, has horses and all this. And actually she's writing this from a New York City apartment. She doesn't know how to cook. She's <laughs> never been to Connecticut, um, is getting all her recipes from a chef friend nearby. 
and uh, the owner of the magazine doesn't realize this and invites himself over to Christmas dinner at her house. And <laughs> so they have to fake all this and fake the cooking and everything. So, and uh, for reasons I won't get into, a very handsome soldier is involved who gets invited as well. And she has to pose with a guy she doesn't like as her husband, but also tries to flirt with the actual handsome soldier. So it's it's an odd movie that I think is kind of a proto uh, Hallmark movie that yeah. involves, <laughs> um, you know, the New York but much better. C- yeah, yeah, I would say so. That involves but like, like big up city, a um, <laughs> big city working professional woman who doesn't uh, know how she'll have time to settle down, um, mm. getting caught up in the lure of uh, Christmas in the country and the uh, under the stars having a sleigh ride and all this <laughs> stuff. So a lot of the elements are there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just well before uh, Hallmark Channel existed. So kind of an odd fun piece of uh, cinema history also like a proto food movie because so much of the right. movie is about food such a good plot line yeah <laughs> th- it's probably like um it's probably would be like a christmas like set like a movie set <laughs> and yeah yeah oh <laughs> sorry to like bring it back to recess but like that reminded me really quick of that part of the reason that i was super in super happy at least with my rewatching of like I'll be home for Christmas is 90s movies tend to have this really uh, for me a big element of like why I love film is a uh, prop and like set design but specifically sure. like tangible ones and mm-hmm. um the movie had a lot of fantastic I'm sure probably Christmas in Connecticut as well has just these fantastic like Christmas e sets that are oh, sure that yeah. are physical and like not a green screen and mm-hmm. they had to go to all these places to get um through this like adventure comedy and um that was a big big win for me like pretty much majority everything was tangible except for like car ride scenes where like right. the background is <laughs> like a shitty green screen sure but um oh so appreciate like I just I eat it up like I love stuff like that you, you've so. actually worked on film sets right I did yes yeah, yeah. so you, you were and, uh, handling props weren't you and uh very low budget film sets right. <laughs> like at that so very ta- very tangible very tangible yeah. um that's just like my bread and butter. Like it, it really makes me happy. And you can you can just tell in production when things are uh, real versus when they're not. And yeah. Christmas time is a wonderful, um, colorful, you know, tactile time. I feel like in film. So yeah, I just oh, I loved it. You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up. This is kind of related. I, I haven't seen the new um, uh, adaption of uh, the live action adaption of cowboy bebop that's already been canceled which is a shame because john Cho's great i've heard of it the rest of the cast was but uh i understand one of the complaints from viewers was that like all the frames just felt so empty that like every set Mm. just felt so bland and didn't have props always not interesting ones and uh kind of what you're talking about which is like you know those every frame in that anime if you've seen it um is really detailed everything that's oh. really lived in is really cool you have these really fun like casino sets and like mm-hmm. even just like a gas station in space somehow it looks very <laughs> intricate and detailed you know right. it feels uh very detailed and lived in and realistic and i i'm uh, taking that word from others here apparently there's just a lot of empty space mm-hmm. um among other problems in it that uh uh not as avid of a film goer not noticing it you might not know what's off yeah. <laughs> you know right but that could be it so i, I think you're right that's something we we might not realize when we're missing it you know we yeah. know we're missing mm-hmm. something but yeah that's I think props is an underrated thing <laughs> just uh, I think just especially in like the holiday time or like Christmas oh, time yeah. it's it's like very this... warranted to have um a lot <laughs> just a lot going on oh and, yeah absolutely um, 
I like that you mentioned food too, because like how so much of food of Christmas movies are like related around the big Christmas meal. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it would be so weird to not have it um, grandiose in that way. Well, let's also do uh, wrap up our recommendations since this was a uh, anime movie. I think we're yes. both going to recommend an anime. Yeah. I would absolutely love to recommend um, Paprika to you, which is by the same director as um, Tokyo Godfathers and a bit of a spin or a different tone for me, definitely, because it it's very, very more surreal. I think that's what I had seen um, Paprika before Tokyo Godfathers. So I was going into it thinking like surreal movie and Tokyo Godfathers, like I mentioned earlier, I thought was a very much more like straightforward plotline and storyline. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of like symbolic imagery, which I think that anime does so well. And mm-hmm. um, it's just like far beyond Western. Uh, I think that a lot of our Western film discographies basically take and um, and or steal from um, the motifs that are portrayed in anime a lot of the time. So um the movie Inception has ripped off, um, eh, ripped off or inspired by, you know, it's like a kind of a fine line there, but um, yeah. a exact scene from Paprika. And um, it was so apparent, like when I watched it, I was just like stunned. So that's something that I didn't know as well as like a Western moviegoer going into it. So if you like that, like surreal um, imagery and insanely beautiful imagery as well, uh, I would totally recommend checking out Paprika for that. Absolutely, Paprika is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple quick notes on uh, Shatoshi Kon. He uh, tragically died at 46. He mm. was uh, diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer and died months later. So wow. they, they caught it very late. He had several projects he was working on. So we, uh, unfortunately, from this brilliant uh, director, we only have four feature films and uh, TV series. Oh but I think he did some mangas as well, but still a very prolific, or I should say very uh, influential, yes. despite not being prolific, um, outpouring and I know Gilma the Toro has been very open about being uh, deeply influenced by Shatoshi Kon oh. mm-hmm. and has been uh, very open with his uh, praise for him. Uh, Darren Ofanowski and Christopher Nolan are two directors who people point a lot of similarities out to. I, uh, we might get into this later. I don't care for Darren Ofanowski that much as a person. I like some of his movies but he seems like an asshole and, and part of that is he's been uh, very much rejecting the comparisons between <laughs> um, his movies and um, an Kong, even though they are shot for shot, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. look down breakdowns uh, between uh, Perfect Blue and Rick and for a Dream. Hilarious. Um, Blue did come out earlier. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, oddly, I, I was actually trying to look and see if Nolan has acknowledged that I couldn't find anything, which um, <laughs> I would be baffled because the imagery is so strong. Some of the some of the things that people say are references, I can understand like how it came up on my own, like a scenes in a it's an interesting shot in a bathtub or whatever yeah. but like this is a hall of crumbling while somebody's running through it in a very particular <laughs> way this is a woman holding her hand up and what she touches turns to glass and shatters mm-hmm. much like those are really direct things <laughs> in inception <laughs> so if, if he didn't see it um his project <laughs> production designer did and didn't tell him but uh, um i'm sure he's been asked i uh if anybody does find that uh, please write in i know uh, we'd love to oh, hear it <laughs> the film optimist at gmail.com yes please <laughs> or, or reach out to us on twitter or instagram also film optimist but mm-hmm. um I, I to that note of like what's the line between ripoff and <laughs> um inspiration or inspired you know I, I think it's acknowledging <laughs> you know? i agree uh, another person say what you will about him then there's a lot of negative say tarantino 
uh, Tarantino is always pretty very open about the myriad of movies he's uh, looking mm. scenes from, and he does something unique with them. I think he puts mm -hmm. them in a different context. Yeah. Um, he, he's not going to act like he hasn't seen um, the good, bad, and the ugly. Right. You know? Right. Mm -hmm. So, but so I, I think that's where I kind of start to get a little concerned about Darren Aronofsky asking Christopher Nolan, who uh, Nolan's films I really like. Um, why would you not acknowledge? <laughs> this you know especially that it's like it's a eastern versus western kind of thing like going right. on here so it's absolutely like... i and I, I frankly um don't think it's a, a fun way to watch a movie or to do um film criticism is to just point say yeah. that's like this and so that person's lazy that's not lazy that's great <laughs> i know <laughs> we've yeah. been i i think even like martin scorsese has said like goodfellas which is widely considered one of his best movies, one of the best movies, is basically just a remake of The Great Train Robbery from like 1910. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, and it's good. Right. So, right. Um, this is not a new thing in any art form mm -hmm. to be inspired I, by. That's another thing, too, is just like art imitates art so many times over many many times over film imitates film many times over but it's just like how about <laughs> let's let's acknowledge like where these origins lie and like exactly uh, th that's basically it that's all we want <laughs> that's all we with, want. with uh, paprika especially is it's a on paper a similar plot the movies mm -hmm. go a very different way but like a dream machine is involved right characters going into dreams mm -hmm. a team of people going into dreams um characters not having a, a clear grasp on whether or not they're in a dream and if they are who's so it's you know like i i do think inception's a very different movie but <laughs> yep. the plot is so similar in terms of elements that like you really have to <laughs> ask this isn't just a, a shot you know this yes. isn't just a, a, a scene that's mm -hmm. uh looks the same way Sorry, you your recommendation was Pet Freak, and I uh, strongly yes. second it. Uh, my recommendation for another anime film is The Castle of Cagliostro, um, also known as Lupin III, The Castle of Cagliostro. This is a Hiro Miyazaki movie, but this is not a Studio Ghibli movie. This is uh, predates Studio Ghibli, mm -hmm. and it, it certainly shows. This is definitely a different movie. I am not too familiar with the massive franchise that is Lupin the Third, but just going on its Wikipedia one day, I was shocked. This this has existed in many forms for quite a while. Mm. It's been a manga for a long time. I think there's a new movie coming out actually. Uh, this character has been around for quite a while. Um, Miyazaki was working on the uh, TV show version of this in the 70s and then did a film adaption. Um, I'm not that interested in pursuing it beyond this movie. I'll tell you that <laughs> from, from what I've looked into it. It's a very funny, strange movie that is a, uh, you know, obviously it's Miyazaki, but it's uh, very different than Ghibli. It's maybe not as sentimental. It's a little bit more straight up of a comedy, okay. of an action crime thriller comedy. Like there, there's moments in this that is kind of just straight up Bugs Bunny, Marx Brothers shit. <laughs> um, it's also going back to food. I think anime actually is one of the best uh, Miyazaki movies is maybe movies that make me the hungriest. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, in all of his movies, And this is definitely has one of those scenes where two characters are talking about how they're going to break into the castle over a bowl of spaghetti <laughs> and they it's only one bowl and they keep you know grabbing it from each other while having this conversation and eating with and talk with their mouth full but it just looks like the best fucking spaghetti right <laughs> it's uh so that's maybe the biggest Miyazaki trait there I believe it's on Netflix right now but Ooh. always fun to see a director's uh early work um yeah. especially someone who has such a um refined and established style as Miyazaki this is a little different this is a little more loose 
and Amano Miyazaki. He is coming out of retirement again, so we have that to look forward to. Ooh, that's very exciting. I think he's retired two or three times now. So <laughs> whether or not this is actually going to be the truly last movie. <laughs> I was going to say. Tell. I think but, he's uh, wrestling with that as well. Yeah, <laughs> he's been in, he, he in and out of retirement. retirement so. <laughs> that's um, funny. But he's passionate, folks. He is. Yeah. <laughs> so that concludes our holiday episode our holiday special mm-hmm. we um, here at film optimus wish you all a very very happy holiday merry merry christmas and uh and a happy new year you know it's all really, coming fast it really is as it does at this time of year and um we wish you an optimistic christmas <laughs> good talking with you Seth. good talking with you megan and we will catch you guys next time <laughs>